Uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read down through. We're going to start at verse 10, read down through verse 17. And that's where we are today on the sword of the Spirit. Okay, and this is actually the last piece of armor, or the last piece that we're to pick up. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation, which we spoke of last week, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We went through about the middle, first part of 18 there. The sword of the Spirit, as it says there, is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is both defensive and offensive. Many of the armor pieces that we put on are strictly defensive. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, the, the shield had an offensive part to the shield. Okay, But this is the first piece that can be purely offense, purely defense. Okay, this is the sword. The sword is the word of God, as it says in verse 17. So again, it's both defensive and offensive. But in verse 18, I want you to notice something, because it's a piece that many people just skip over. They might stop at verse 17. But verse 18 tells us how to take up the sword of the Spirit says praying at all times. Praying at all times is the lubrication, if you will, that makes that function work. All of the armor pieces that we put on and the shield that we take up and the sword that we take up, none of it works properly without verse 18, without prayer. Now, I find it interesting that it, can, it really conjoins that with verse 17, with this last piece. Because if you look, there's not a period after the Word of God. Between verse 17 and 18, now remember, there was no, there was no punctuation in the original language. Okay, So all the punctuation that you see, uh, all these divisions that you see in your Bible were, were done later. Okay, so verse 17 and 18 really go together. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. You can't take up the sword of the Spirit without praying in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, it says. 
Okay, it's not by accident that the only weapon given is given after our armory is full, armor is fully engaged. Think about what we've gone through the last five or six weeks. We've talked about each piece of armor, talked about putting it on, talked about what it was, what it defended against, what its, its reason for being there was, and then the sword being our real offensive weapon in, adis- in addition to defense. He doesn't talk about picking that up until all the defense is put together. Until we are completely defended against the enemy. That's when you take up the offensive piece of equipment. Because if you do it beforehand, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. If you take it up beforehand, you don't know how to defend against the enemy coming at you. That sword that becomes an offensive weapon, yes, it is defensive, but more offensive, it's not going to protect you. That's why the pieces of armor have to be there. And it's so critical that they are. I want to show a video here. And it's a video of uh, these two guys. They, they do, do this for a living um, for, I think it's for TV or whatever. Um, but it, it shows some intricacies of personal combat with swords. And, and the interesting part of this is this is more true to life than what we might see in some of the normal Hollywood stuff. And listen to what they say about the offensiveness as well as defense of this sword fighting. Take a listen. What I think is interesting about that video is it really points out close combat warfare, right? I mean, when you think of warfare with the enemy, let's put it in the realm in which we're talking about. We're talking about fighting powers that we don't see, right? We talked about that. In Ephesians 6, it says that we fight powers that we don't see. Imagine yourself in close combat with those powers. Because that's really what's happening, even though we don't really recognize it. We don't really see it. We kind of think because we can't see it. It's just kind of out there. Yeah, I know it go I know the enemy goes after me. I know he sends stuff my way. I know he tries to defeat me, but we always think that he's somewhere out there. When in reality, he's right in front of us. He is coming after us just like you saw in this video. It's close quarters combat. And I thought it was interesting, you know, how, how, uh, how Paul talks about the, this, this idea of the Roman soldier and putting on the armor, and I can, I can picture him, him thinking about this close quarters combat and how he gave, he told us that we have what? The shield of faith that we hold up. And we pointed our enemy, and then now he's giving us the sword to fight back with. Okay, everything else was defensive. If you didn't have that sword, you had very little that you could do outside of using your shield or your hands or something. Okay, but now he gives us the sword. The sword is the word of God. The word of God is precise. It's a precise instrument. Okay, you don't just... If you looked at what they were doing, they weren't just flailing it around anywhere. They were going after their enemy with the sword. We're to go after our enemy 
with the Word of God. I think it's interesting also, and, and this is a, a picture within that video, and the quote he said was, always have the sword in front. Why? Not so you could defend yourself. He said, so it's a danger to the enemy. That hit me hard when I saw that the first time, that if I don't have the Word of God in front of me, if I don't have the Word of God going after the enemy, then it's no danger to him. I'm no danger to him. There's nothing I can do that is a danger to him. If I am fully in a defensive position, there's nothing I can do to him. There is only what I can keep him from doing to me. Okay, if we have all our armor on and we don't have the sword, we're not going after the enemy when he strikes us, then all it is is defensive. We cannot do anything to repel him back. All we can do is put up our shield and, and just have the rest of our defenses stay strong. That's why we're given the sword. That's why the word of God is the sword. Because it's precise. How do we use the word of God as a sword? Again, it's a precise instrument. If you, I looked up so many videos of sword fighting, trying to find something that would apply. And it was really interesting. As a matter of fact, I'm going to play one at the end, which I think you'll get a kick out of. I think I picked it more because it was one of my uh, favorite songs about 20 years ago. But, um, but when you look at all these videos of sword fighting, when you watch, you can see people that really know what they're doing. Check out some of the Olympic sword fighting videos. These are people that know what they're doing. They're, they're not only defensive in watching what their opponent is doing, what their enemy is doing, but they're looking for avenues of attack. I don't think it's an accident that Paul told us to kind of take on the armor like a Roman soldier would. Because, see, the Roman soldier was effective in beating the enemy. The Roman soldier was not just a defensive soldier. And they conquered the world. Okay? They conquered the world with a sword about three feet long. Now, that was the big switch from those big long swords down to these little swords that they could wield with this precision. So it's no wonder that Paul uses that as an analogy for us to go after the enemy. We have to know how to use our sword. We have to know the word of God. If we want to not only defend, be defensive against the enemy's attacks, but we want to go after him or allow the Holy Spirit through us to go after him, we have to know the word of God. It's not about just being a perfect conduit and then the Holy Spirit takes the word of God through them. That's not what it says. We have to know how to use that sword. You know, Bible says we're, we need to know the Bible. We need to know the Word of God. Acts 17, 11, we, we digest it. We listen to what is said. We listen to what is read. And we prove it out ourselves. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a group relationship with Jesus Christ. In group, we have unity. In group, we have the church body. But it is no stronger than our personal walk with him. 
That way you're fighting the, the enemy is going to be no stronger than you understanding your weaponry and your defense. Taking on those defense pieces, but then knowing how to wield the Word of God. The first thing that we do, how do we use the Word of God as a sword? We use it as a defense. You saw in the video where somebody would lunge, the other person would block. We use the Word of God to block. We use the Word of God to defend. The sword is the first line of defense. In fact, God's Word was the first thing that Satan attacked. We won't turn there, but think about in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 3, the very fall of man, the first sin that man created, or that man did. Satan went after the Word of God. He said, you know, did he really say that? Did he really say that, that, that you're going to die if you eat of the tree? And what, what was her response? Her response said, not only did he say that, he said, he said if you just touch it, you're going to die. It was at that point Satan knew he had her. Because that's not what God said. That was changing the word of God. You have to know the word of God if you are going to fight this enemy, if you're going to spar, if you're going to be in a battle with this enemy, you better know the word of God. You better know how to use your sword. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. How do we use the, the, sword of, the word of God as a sword in defense? We claim his promises. The word of God is full of promises that we're to claim. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 is one. And this is where he gives us power to tread on evil. Let's read this. Luke ten nineteen says this, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. How do you feel at work when you are given authority to do something, to do this task that you were given? Well, you feel empowered to get it done, right? If, if you're given authority over this group of people to go get a job done, you feel empowered then to lead them. You feel empowered to use the equipment that, that you need to use. You feel empowered to do exactly what it is that you need to do to get that job done. That's what he's saying here. You've been empowered to what? What's it say? I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the enemy. He's already given us authority to not only fight the enemy, but defeat the enemy. See, now, if you don't know that verse, then you don't know that you have the authority to do that. So when Satan comes after you and you don't think you have the authority over him, he has an advantage. He then knows, I've got them, because they don't know the word. If we know the word, he will not defeat us in that way. He can't. Outside of the fact of us not trusting the word. But see, Satan knows that the word is true. 
He knows that the word is correct. That's why back in Genesis 3, he knew he had Eve the second she distorted God's word. The second she said just a little bit different of what, it, of what God had actually said. So we need to know his word. And he gives us authority. That's an important verse right in your Bible. Keep it. Know that you have authority over the enemy. He has nothing he can do to you that you do not have authority over already. We were given the authority as children of the king. 1 Corinthians 10.13, look that up. 1 Corinthians 10.13, this is another promise that is an important one to, to keep close to us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, this is another promise that we can hang on to. When you feel like you are buried so heavily under burden that you just can't take any more, you've got to go back to some of these promises and trust him in it. This is knowing how to lunge with that sword. This is knowing how to use the precision of the sword against the enemy. See, because the enemy is going to tell you, you have no power. You have no power over this temptation. You have no power over whatever sin you might be in right now. You have no power over that. You can't say no to that. You can't run from that. You, you've, been, you've been in this sin for so long. It's just a part of you now. There's nothing you can do about that. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. See, that's what Satan wants us to know. He, he wants us to think that. But that's not what the Word of God says. What we just re read, he said temptation is not beyond our defense. It's not beyond our defense. He gives us the capability to run away from it. He always gives, God always gives this back door to run away. To leave from that temptation. He also said, and this is an important part of it, I highlighted this, anything that's real important to me in, my, in the word of God, I highlight in, in red. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In other words, you're never going to be tempted in anything that you cannot say no to. So when we say yes to sin, it's not because we didn't have a way out. We have to understand that because the first point in which we get that, then we can go back to the Word of God and say, Wait, Lord, you have a promise here. You have a promise here that you're not going to tempt me, you're not going to allow me to be tempted beyond my capability. And by the way, Lord, you also promised that you're going to provide a way of escape. Open my eyes to what that is. You ever pray that? If you know and you claim that verse and you know there's a way out, there is a way out of that temptation, but you just don't see it. That happens a lot. We have to pray, God, open my eyes 
to that way out. Because, see, he promised that there is a way out. There is a way out. If we're not finding it, then we can ask him to reveal it to us. Because he promised there is one. Turn to Psalm 91. God is our refuge and our fortress. Psalm 91, verses 1 to 16. These are more promises in terms of the defense of our walk. When the enemy attacks us and we're defending with this sword, he's lunging at us okay, with his sword. We are defending with our sword. This is another promise that we can claim. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 16 say this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I love it. Alexis used an uh, illustration one time. I believe it was with this verse, and it, it stuck in my mind that picture a little child clinging to daddy's leg. That's kind of what's going on here. We're to cling to the father's leg, and we're in his shadow. When we're in his shadow, there's safety within his shadow. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Imagine what he's saying there. You know what David's saying there. All this warfare going on around you could be getting people right and left. They're falling right and left all around you. But he is your fortress and you will stand. Picture that in your mind. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge... Because the Lord lives inside of me. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On, your, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Which, by the way, this is exactly the... It's interesting how Satan will also use the word of God. Okay, remember in, in the wilderness when Christ was tempted for 40 days? Satan used this and saying, what, what? you know, he took him up to the pinnacle and said, why don't you jump off? Don't worry, the angels are going to take care of you. You know, not, e- not even your foot will strike against stone. He was pulling it from this, from this passage here. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. If there is, an, there is not another person in the word of God that was more of a warrior than David, 
look at what David went through in his life. It was battle after battle after battle after battle. Even before Goliath, he battled the bear. He battled the lion. I'm sure he battled his brothers. And then Goliath. But yet, why did there seem to be no fear? In fact, you really don't see fear creep in until later. And then there are some instances when his own son was after him and stuff where you see that. But why, why was there no fear? He said, because God is in him. God will protect him. He knew how to go and use his sword. He knew that when the enemy came after him, he knew how to block. He knew how to defend himself. He knew how to use it. And these were promises. He held God to his promises. You know, we're supposed to do the same thing. We're given so many promises. If we were to hold God to every promise that he promised us, it would open our eyes. It would make us so effective for the kingdom. And it would make us so filled with peace, love, and joy. We, we just couldn't even fathom that. And, and that's just from taking him for what he said. In the word of God, there, there are promises. And there, there are great books out there. I have a, at home this little book of promises. I can't remember. There, there's got to be at least 600, I think, in there. All categorized. Hold God to his word. Because remember, his word is precise. His word is precise because when you use a sword, you need to use it precisely to make it effective. And that's what we need to do. How is, what's the second way then that we use the word of God as a sword? You saw it in the video. It's defend and counter. When the opponent came after you and swung, you would defend and counter. Okay? The warfare is not strictly a defense. And oftentimes we think about that. We think when the enemy comes after us, all we can do is defend. That's what we've been talking about for the last six weeks, is just defending against his attacks. But do you know that you have authority over that enemy? We just read it back in Luke. No, it was 1 Corinthians 10.13. We just read about this authority that we're given. So you can defend and then counter. There's an offensive portion to this armor. There's an offensive portion to what we do with this enemy. It's not just us taking blows. But oftentimes, that's what really happens. We cannot go after the enemy if we don't know the word of God. We can't go after the enemy if we don't know how to wield that sword and swing at the right places. You saw at the beginning of that video where the guy was explaining the key places to hit the opponent. You know, picture in real warfare back then. You know, some of the areas that you want to go after are areas that are effective for them. You know, the first, he, he didn't say you go after and chop off the head. No, you go after the arms. You go after the legs. You know, you go after these areas that are strategic to the enemy. 
Do you know, if we know the word of God, and we begin to apply his promises, and we become effective in using our sword, which is the word of God, we can do the same thing to the enemy. You could do it not only in your life, but then the Lord begins to use you to affect other people. You can go after the enemy in ways that will make him not come after you like that again. Do you understand that? Think about that a second. There are people out there that the enemy will not go after. He'll go after people around them. Simply because he sustains too much damage when he goes after them directly. He's strategic. He will go in a way that he, he sustains the least amount of damage. But someone who knows the word, who knows how to wield their sword, who has up their proper defenses, he's not going to come at you straight away. He can't. Why? Because we're given authority over him. There's nothing he can do. If we claim that authority that we've already been given, there's nothing he can do. Except when he starts to distort what we think is truth in the word of God. You have to know the word. You have to know what it means. You have to know what the promises are that you could claim against the enemy. You know, if you're going through something right now, whether it's sin or whether it's difficulty, I mean, in the Christian life, you know, you're, you're always going to be going through something. Because that, that's the walk. That's the faith building. But if you're going through something right now, try applying the word of God to it. You know, if it's something that the enemy is fighting you in, whether it be sin or something like that, try claiming these promises. He has given us authority over the enemy. We have authority over the enemy. Do you know you could tell the enemy to get away from you? Christ did. Christ did. When, when Christ said, I'm going to die and three days later you know, be raised from the dead, and Peter said, no, no, that, that's not going to happen. You know, Christ said, get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't saying that to Peter, by the way. He was saying that to Satan because that was Satan trying to work on Jesus. Jesus knew the authority that he had. He didn't say, be quiet. He didn't say, hey, stop talking. I know you're going to be around, but just stop talking. He didn't say that. He said, get behind me. Get away from me. Leave. See, Christ had that authority. He had that authority, and you saw it many times when he cast out demons out of, out of people. He had the authority to tell the enemy to go. And often when we read that, we don't think we have that same authority. But do you know you're given that same authority as Christ? You're given the same authority over the enemy to fight the enemy. We just read it. So why can't we say, when we, when we know that he is tempting us or we know that he is fighting us, why can't we say, leave, and expect that he leaves? See, we can. 
But oftentimes we don't know that we have that authority. Tell the enemy to leave. And don't tell him in your own authority. In the authority that you were given by God. That is how we can do it. We have the authority. We tell him to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of that authority that was given. So again, we defend and we counter. And we can do that with prayer. Okay, there are many examples in your life where, where you feel something come on and the most important thing you can do is drop to your knees and just pray. Drop to your knees and use that sword, swing back at the enemy and say, no, I have authority over you. You need to get out. The third point is to attack. We've talked about defending with the sword. We've talked about a defense and a counter with the sword. And the third one is attacking. This is where we go on the offensive. We take up the word of God. We are actually declaring war on the enemy. Now, by the way, I would say this is something that you do not want to do without your defenses up. Okay, you don't want to go declare war on the enemy without having your breastplate of righteousness on, with having your helmet of salvation on, with having your shield up. Because you declare war on him, he's going to come after you. Because he's going to test you. Now, by the way, he's going to come after you regardless. It's just when you declare war on him, now he's defensive. You ever see a badger that gets cornered? They they get pretty mean. They're going to do everything they can to survive. When we go after the enemy, he is the same way. He's going to do everything that he can to survive. So you better know how to use your sword. You better know that you have authority over him. You have authority over what he does. And when you're called to do something, you claim those promises that he has no power over. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9.8. You've probably heard me say this verse so many times. This became a life verse to me back shortly after 9-11 happened. And this, this verse is... Just an amazing promise. Second Corinthians 9.8 says this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things. At all times. You may abound to every good work. See this is a promise. First of all never go on the offensive to the enemy. If you are not called to do something. Don't do it just because you feel like it. You go on the offensive with the enemy because you're called. When I was called to start this ministry, I went on the offensive to the enemy. If I didn't have some things that I could count on, some promises that I could count on, then I could get discouraged in the process. This is one of the verses that I count on. And basically what it says is if you have been called to do something... Christ promises you 
everything, he says all three times in there, everything you need to do it with. Think about that. Everything you need to do it with. So if you have a calling on your life, you really don't have to work, worry about the particulars of it. You have to keep the main thing the main thing. You've got to keep your relationship on point with Jesus Christ. You've got to grow in using the sword. But you trust him for the rest. We trust him for a building whenever he's ready to give us a building. We trust him for the harvest of souls that he has promised. He has called us so we can claim his promises in this. Last May, he told me to get rid of the business. And there was nothing, there was no other income. It wasn't like going from that to, okay, I'll, I'll take this other income. It was stop doing the work. Stop taking that income, and I'll provide for you. He made this very clear to me. So we did. We got rid of the business last May. I knew I had confidence that he was going to provide no matter what. No matter what. And even at times where it has been, it's just not coming in, or we, we don't have this, or we don't have that, in my mind, it really doesn't matter. That's up to him. Because he already promised. He promised because he has called me to do something that he'll provide everything I need to do it with. He'll provide that roof over my head. He'll provide food for me, for my family. He will provide the very work that he calls us to do. If you have been called to this church... Do you know you have been called here to be a part of the progression of it? Not just to be a part of soaking it in. We've said from the beginning, this is an army rising up. This is an army. When you're in an army, you engage. If you have been called here, then he will give you everything you need to do that with. Everything. Even that confidence to go give a tract to a person. Even that confidence to go and invite a person to church. You know, even though it might be hard inviting someone to a home. I know that, that was a tough one for me. Inviting someone to a home. In my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, that, it's not really church because it's in a home and you need to be in a church building. And No. Because it's about the family. It's about the unity of us. That's what church is. So if he called you to this church, he'll give you everything you need to grow in this church. He would never bring you here for you not to have growth. Because growth is what he wants. He wants that relationship with you. Turn to Second Peter chapter 1. We need to confirm our calling. Remember we said, 2 Corinthians 9.8, if, if we're called to something and we know we're called to that, then that's a promise we could claim. And, and God is not a liar. He will always, always 
always, always provide. Always. He will never lie. But we have to confirm that calling. We have to make sure that that's really what we're being called to. Second Peter chapter 1, 3-10 through 10, says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Which is the word of God, by the way. The knowledge of him. Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. These are the promises we've been talking about. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. What he's saying there in verse 4 is basically what we've been talking about. I give you promises to defeat the enemy. The enemy in your life, I give you, I'm giving you all these promises for you to claim to defeat him coming after you. See, God, through his promises, he's teaching us how to use his sword. He's teaching us that when, when Satan comes and, and, and he, tells, he tries to tell me that I made a mistake last May, I could say, wait, no. God called me, and he made it clear, and he promised to provide. And you're telling me he's not going to provide? No, you're wrong. That's me countering. That's me putting my defense up. By the way, that's me countering with a jab. Because when you go after Satan with the truth, he can't do anything about it. Because he knows it's the truth. The stronger you are in using the word of God, the less he comes after you. I said it before. He may start going after people around you, especially people you care for. That's why you've got to know how to use the word. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fail. By the way, these things here, you notice it starts with faith. Faith is what, us, what brought us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith is what brought us salvation. Believing in him. And what he's saying here is you've got to add these things. And, and by the way, they're sequential. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, then self-control, then steadfastness. These things all produce that next step. 
When you do this, what's it say in verse 10? You'll never fail. You will never fail. It doesn't say you will mostly never fail. You might fail once, or one out of ten times you're going to fail. But 90%, that's pretty good. I, I was thrilled to get a 90 in school, right? Okay, but that's not what it said. Are you laughing because you get hundreds, right? That's not what it said, though. It said you will never fail. Can you imagine looking at your life with the possibility of never failing in your walk with Christ? Now, I'm not talking about sinning, because we have this flesh that we were born with, that we will unfortunately be with until we are glorified, until we're with him. But see, that's not failure. Temptation is not failure. Being tempted, if it was failure, then Christ would have failed because Christ was tempted. He was tempted just as we are tempted, yet without sin. So he said, if, if you keep these things in your life, keep building them in your life because it's this ever-increasing, you can't go stagnant. If you keep these, there's safety. There's safety. Why? Because there's safety against the enemy. You're learning how to use the sword, which is the word of God. The greater a sword fighter you are, the less the enemy is going to come after you. And the more you can go after the enemy. You know, you can go after the enemy for your family. You can go after the enemy for friends. Because there are people around you that may not know how to use the sword the same way you can. You can go after them, and that makes you an effective warrior. The better you are at using the sword, the more effective warrior you will be for yourself and for Jesus Christ. You know, we've talked about this, our, our relationship here on earth with Christ, you know, our, our sanctification, which is what we talked about last week, is about drawing close to him, about that personal relationship that gets closer and closer and closer. But do you realize at some point, when we go from milk to meat, at some point we have a responsibility for the people around us. God puts us into callings where we have a responsibility to other people. We have a responsibility to fight for them. We have a responsibility to teach them how to fight with the sword. Teach them how to put up the shield. Teach them how to put on their pieces of armor. That's, what, that's discipleship. If you've ever led someone to the Lord, then part of your responsibility is continuing that relationship. Continuing that relationship in discipleship. And that's, that's how this family needs to operate. Because in this room here, we're all at different levels of our walk. We all have different giftings in our walk. God did that for a reason, 1 Corinthians 12. He did that for a reason. There, there are many members in the body and we all have different giftings. Why? It's because we're supposed to work together. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to... Hold each other up. 
You know, if you're in a war, you can picture yourself going into war. You're not, you're not going in by yourself. At least, I hope not. <laughs> you're going in with people around you. You go in with a squad around you. And when you have those, that squad, that people that you go do battle with, you die for them. You'd do anything for them. You'd do anything to keep the enemy away from them. That's how we operate as a church. That's how the body of Christ is supposed to operate all over the globe. And that's important to let that sit on your spirit for a minute. Because you are not in this world just for yourself. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it made you part of a family that makes you responsible for more than just yourself. You're responsible now for your portion in the family. Let's bow our heads.